good thing. I'm really pleased. So thank you. Um, we're starting a new sermon series today. We're going. Uh, it's called Jesus Is, and we're going to be looking at pictures of Jesus through the book of Hebrews. We're not going to be going through the book of Hebrews, but we're going to be looking at pictures of Jesus in Hebrews. And I want to read to you quickly what I think must be one of the most uh, dramatic and um, just exciting beginnings of a book of the Bible. I think probably only Genesis rivals this, which begins, in the beginning, God. And this is, I think, a rival to the beginning of Genesis for drama, and um, you'll see why in a moment. There is no welcome, there is no hello, there is no peace uh, to you, there is nothing. It just says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And I could read on. There is literally an entire chapter of whoever this person is who wrote Hebrews just saying Jesus is wonderful, Jesus is amazing, Jesus is more powerful, Jesus is superior to the angels, Jesus is just amazing. And it's, it's a really, I think it's a really important start. As I say, we don't know who the writer of the book Hebrews is, we're not even totally sure who they were writing to, whoever they are, but we know from the content of the book that they were writing to a people who were oppressed, who were facing opposition for not, um, not sort of cowing to Roman deities, but who were insisting on worshipping the one true God, and who, taking that stand, were feeling the heat of the world around them. And the writer to the Hebrews' encouragement to them was to remind them about Jesus, to keep putting portraits up of this, uh, of this man, this God, who uh, is just all-conquering, who is beautiful. And so the writer of Hebrews keeps lifting Jesus up and essentially says, because Jesus is who he is, you can persevere, you can endure, you will be victorious, you will overcome. And so it's a wonderful, a wonderful encouragement to us because we're in a similar place, aren't we? We are not encouraged in our faith by the world around us for believing the things that we believe. And the book of Hebrews says, remember Jesus, remember what he's like, remember what he's done, remember who he is to you, remember who you are because of him. And so I really hope that, uh, I'm only speaking once in this series, we've got seven weeks on this, and I hope that like artisans restoring a painting to its full glory, that you will enjoy seven weeks of having a facet of Jesus being uh, sort of retold to you, not that we've forgotten these things, not that we don't know them, 
but to encourage one another again and again that we can, we can have hope for this world. We can have hope for our lives because of who Jesus is. And we love this book, don't we? It's full of loads of verses that we love. You know, the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. You know, faith is the confidence of things not seen and the assurance of things hoped for. You know, this is a book that we love and we are going to be, as I say, enjoying seven weeks of this. And it just keeps saying, it's all about Jesus. He's better than Moses. This new covenant is better than the old covenant. It wasn't that what was before was bad, it was that was good. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And so we're going to be doing that. And it's important to remember these truths as we spend seven weeks looking at Hebrews, because straight after this wonderful exhortation in the whole of chapter 1, and I didn't read all of it, the first verse of chapter 2 says this, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We need to keep lifting Jesus up as our example. We need to keep refocusing our attention on who he is and what he's done and what he's made us to be, or who he's made us to be. Because if we don't, if we don't keep calling those things to mind, if we don't keep our focus trained on him, it says lest we fall away. It exhausts us, we must pay closer attention lest we fall away. And how subtle that can happen. We've got to keep coming back to Jesus. We've got to keep coming back to Jesus. And it isn't a heavy thing. If it isn't a heavy thing, it's, it's, it's like the, the language of John 15. You know, abide in me and I in you. You know, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's, it's relationship. It's let's keep coming back to him. And as, as we keep coming back to him, we find he's faithful. We find he loves us. But I suppose one question that has been on my mind as I've prepared is how can we follow Jesus if we have lost sight of him? How can we follow him if we have lost sight of him? And as I prepared, I just felt God give me a picture of, of a, a parent and a child who have been walking together and although the parent could see the child, but they entered a busy place and the child lost sight of the parent and began to worry. And I really believe that as we spend seven weeks looking at Jesus in the book of Hebrews, that we, we're, gonna, we're gonna fix our eyes on him again. We'll be able to follow him all the better. He's not lost sight of us, he's with us. We're gonna be encouraged as we train our eyes on him. And that picture might not be for everyone, uh, but I do believe that it's for at least one person. I was encouraged to believe that as well because of the, uh, the contribution of Barry and Adam. I think that's something God wants you to know today. If you feel a little bit lost, if you feel a little bit worried, if you're not totally sure where Jesus is for you, his eyes are still firmly fixed on you. He hasn't lost sight of you. He's with you. You can put your hope in him again. And I hope that you will feel that as the weeks go on. <coughs> And like the story of the prodigal son, when we turn to him, we find that he is already running to us. So be encouraged if that is you. He has not lost sight of you. He never will. 
And so on to today's passage. I'm preaching today on Jesus, our great high priest. Okay, Jesus, our great high priest. And I'm very aware that the language of Jesus as our priest is not language that we often use. It's not language we often use. We don't, you know, we're sort of very low church, aren't we? The idea of priests isn't one that we, we, we talk about often. We don't, we don't, what do we need a priest for? We are the priesthood of all believers. You know, so this language of Jesus as our high priest isn't language that we use very often. And I want to encourage you today that this should be language that we use more and more. This should be a thought that we call to mind more and more. And... Uh, and I hope to explain to you why today. And there is a verse in, in this passage that I'm going to read in Hebrews 4 that we, we would call to mind often. We would call to mind the verse that says, For we don't have a great high priest who uh, is unable to sympathise with us, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And we would call that verse to mind very often, but I think when we do, it's usually because we're explaining our weakness away rather than because we're remembering our priest, our great high priest, and calling to mind what he does. We have all sorts of language we use about God, don't we? He's our father, he's our judge, he's our friend, he's our saviour, our lord, our king. We have all sorts of language that we use of God. I, I want to encourage you this week to add priest to that regular language that you use about God. So just briefly before I read the passage in chapter 4, just to make it clear if perhaps you uh, aren't, aren't aware of these things, uh, in the Old Testament and under the Old Covenant, uh, people's relationship with God, the people of Israel's relationship with God was maintained through sacrifices and offerings. And once a year the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies in the temple which had been built at God's instruction and by his clear direction and only the high priest could enter this Holy of Holies and the high priest would represent all of the people of Israel and in that act once a year behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies deal with the sin of all of the people of Israel. We don't need that anymore do we? We have a great high priest who has sacrificed once and for all, for all people at all times. And so we, we don't need that so much anymore. And I think we forget this language of priest because of that. And although the Levitical priesthood died with what Jesus did, that's no longer needed. We don't, we don't need a high priest on earth, a man like us. We have a perfect man, Jesus, who has done this for us. And although his priestly work is finished, he continues as a priest for us today. And so the actual passage that I'm going to speak on says this. This is uh, Hebrews 4, and I'm just going to read verses 14 to 16. And it says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. 
Here is your picture of Jesus today. He is our great high priest. He's been tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. He is without sin. And so, because of that, we can draw near. So we don't just have a high priest, we have a great high priest. We, have, we don't have someone, a man, who entered into a room built by human hands, although under the direction of God, and although he dwelt there, we have a great high priest who, having died, passed through the heavens. He didn't just enter the Holy of Holies, he entered the eternal home of God and atoned for our sins forever, once and for all, there. And so we have a great high priest. He's done a wonderful thing. Alright? He's done a wonderful thing. As I say, better than what the high priest did for the people of Israel. More, more complete in its scope. The high, the, the high priest who entered into the Holy of Holies, he was just a man like you and me. He had to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. Jesus did not. Jesus offered sins for all of us as one who had never sinned. And so, passing through the heavens, dealing with every single sin once and for all, every destructive thought, every wrong behaviour, every careless word, everything dealt with once and for all. Okay? <laughs> there, there is nothing you can say, think or do ever that will change how God thinks about you. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. We are awake this morning, aren't we? This is wonderful. This is seriously wonderful stuff. There is nothing that can change how God feels for you. Alright? And, and what's beautiful about this, the thing I love about this, is that the writer to the Hebrews obviously knows that... Now, obviously, you know, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Knowing truth is, is so important. But the writer to the Hebrews knows that sometimes... We, we, need the, you know, we need the Spirit to come alongside us and help that truth really settle, take root in our hearts so that it bears the fruit that it is designed to, so that it leads to the freedom that we have. We've got to hold fast to that confession, it says. It says, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, let's hold fast to that confession. That confession is what I read to you from uh, the beginning of Hebrews 1. That in these days he's spoken to us by his son. That his son is the perfect uh, representation of the father. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He's, he's wonderful. We have this hope. It's an amazing hope. When he, when he atoned for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the father. You know, you've got to be thinking about Genesis. He's finished his work. He's sitting down. Jesus is totally chilled in heaven now. Everything is sorted. He is sat down at the right hand of the Father. He's not going absolutely loopy, running around like a headless chicken. It's done. It's finished. It's dealt with. He is happy that his plan has worked. His plan has worked for us. But as I say, just knowing that truth isn't always enough. Sometimes we still feel, no, actually, I, I don't, it can't have been sufficient. I still feel rubbish. I still, I know what I said last week. I know what I did last week. How can I possibly approach God with confidence today? And he says to us, 
We don't have a great high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. So encouraging. Jesus knows you. He knows that you feel like that after you've said that thing, after you've done that thing. He knows how you feel. We read throughout the Bible, don't we, or or throughout the Gospels, Jesus wept. Jesus grew tired. You know, Jesus, although he is fully God, was fully man. He was like you and me. And he knows what it's like. He was tempted in every way, but he was without sin. And because he knows what it's like, and because he has passed through the heavens and dealt with sin once and for all, he says, you can draw near. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence to find mercy and to find grace in your time of need. He left his heavenly home for us. Because of love, he came. You know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. He loves you. His death for your sins has been totally effective. And as I say, I think... think increasingly calling to mind this idea of Jesus as our priest can be transformative for us. Remembering him as our great high priest can be transformative for us. Okay? Because we do know the discouragement. We do know, we're not ignorant of the schemes of the evil one, aren't we? We know, you know, he brings division, he brings discouragement. We know what he's about. Okay? And so we, we, we don't want to give in to those schemes. We don't want to give in to encouragement, to the discouragement that comes, either because we don't truly believe deep in our hearts what we read uh, is true, what God has revealed of himself, or because we are under enemy attack. I want to suggest to you that recalling Jesus as your great high priest is your best defence against enemy attack because of this you can say this you can say something like this I know that thought is not from God so may the Lord rebuke you Satan you father of lies I'm a child of God I have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens and atoned for my sins once and for all and because he lives forever to intercede for me I can have confidence. He's not unsympathetic of my weaknesses. He knows of what you've said is true. But because of him, I can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Because of him, I have access to mercy and I can find grace in my time of need because of him. We need a priest. We still need a priest today. Which of you, if you found yourself facing criminal charges, would defend yourself in a court of law? You'd be a fool to do so, wouldn't you? You would lose. (laughs) You'd be a fool. Don't do it. 
I mean, don't do anything that sees you facing criminal, <laughs> criminal charges, but if you do, don't defend yourself. How much more do we need an advocate in the, in the courtroom of the king, of, of our judge? Another word used to describe him. We have a priest, a great high priest, who makes representations for us. A parallel passage in Hebrews 7 says this, He is able to save us completely because he lives forever to intercede for us. So right now, at this very moment, Jesus, being the all-powerful Son of God, is interceding for every single one of us individually, not just in this room, but everyone who calls on his name throughout the world, and, be, and, and he is heard. He is heard. He, our Father hears him because of his reverence, because of his faith, because of his obedience. Our Father hears him. I want to ask you to cast your minds back to when you were younger. I know for some of you that's harder than for others, but I want to ask you to cast your minds back to when you were younger. Because when I was younger, I would often find myself having a conversation like this. I'd go to friends, I'd be like, oh, what are you doing this weekend? And they'd say something like, oh, I'm going to so-and-so's party, you should come. And I'm like, but I don't know them, I don't know anyone who's going to... Don't worry, just come. And, and because we were younger, or because I was younger, and meeting new people wasn't accompanied by the same sense of dread as it is now, I would go. I would go, and I would find that as I went there, my friend would be like, oh, this is Neil, Neil, this is, this is Dave, this is George, you know, say hello, you know, and if you've got any funny looks, don't worry, he's with me. That is what Jesus is like for us as our great high priest. As our great high priest. As accusations are brought... No, he's with me. You know, as, as, he, as, he, as he goes around the heavenlies, this is Neil. That's what he does for you. And it's a bit like that with Jesus as our high priest. I think Jesus says to our Father in heaven, not to twist his arm, but Jesus, who lives forever to intercede for us, I think probably says stuff like this to our Father in heaven. I think he goes, Father, this is Bernard. Father, this is Barry. Father, this is Karen. We did well when we made them, Father. We did well. We did well. And as we knew that they would when we predestined them to do so, they have come to believe in us. Father, should we bless them? Should we bless them? And do you know what I think our Father says in response to Jesus in this made-up scenario, which I think is highly plausible? I really do think it's highly plausible. I think our Father says this, nothing would please me more. Nothing would please me more. I think Jesus, as he intercedes for us, says, God, Father, aren't these guys amazing? Don't we love them so much? I think our Father goes, yes, we absolutely do. Let's bless them. Let's bless them. And that doesn't nullify the words that Barry and Alan brought to us today. He blesses us in the hard times too. It doesn't mean that life is always going to be, um, you know, sweets and roses. doesn't mean that. But in heaven, interceding for us, knowing our needs, knowing who we are, I think the Trinity just are united in saying, let's bless them. Let's bless them. So that we're glorified, let's bless them. A few weeks ago I said that we must be about three things. 
I said that we must be about fellowship, we must be about worship, and we must be about mission. We're prioritising fellowship at this time, and that means that the language that we use of the church and of one another is the language of the church as being God's family and us as being brothers and sisters with Jesus as the firstborn son and kind of just the best brother. We just love him. What we've got today, or sorry, what we've got today is, is, is a taste of the language we might use if we were prioritising worship. And the church is the temple of God. And we are priests to God, all of us. And here we have Jesus today as our great high priest who lives forever to intercede for us, not shocked by anything we do, but praying blessing over us every single moment. Another picture, if we were to, to prioritise mission, we might have the picture of the church as an army. Again, this is all biblical language. The church as an army and us as soldiers and Jesus as our conquering king. So today we are talking about worship. We're talking about us being a temple. We're talking about us being priests, all of us. And we're talking about Jesus being our great high priest. We're going to move back into a time of sung worship in just a moment. Band, if you'd like to come back up, because I'm going to pray, and then I want to be able to hand over to you. Because as priests in the service of God, as the temple of God here this morning, we are going to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Okay, we're going to draw near with confidence. And we find mercy and we find grace to help us in our time of need. And so whatever is going on in our lives, as we worship God today, as we place him again in the centre, and as we dust off this language of Jesus as our priest, we can be encouraged that he is for us. We can be encouraged that the sacrifice he made is better than the sacrifice that the high priest made in the temple in the Holy of Holies and we can worship him. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand over to the band to lead us however they uh, see fit. Can I encourage you to stand? Let's stand. Can I encourage you, if you would like to, to put out your hands to, uh, as a sign that you want to receive something from